630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. He'll hit Corey Watson with it. He'll sidestep one tackler and gets to the 20. Corey Watson inside the 10. Touchdown, Eskimo. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. It started off with the scoreboard. The Colorado Avalanche trying to win their 10th consecutive game. They're in a 1-1 tie with the Toronto Maple Leafs early in the second period. Oh, I know you're going to hate me for saying this, Oilers fans, but you have to cheer for Toronto at least tonight, to beat Colorado. The Avalanche in possession of the final playoff spot in the Western Conference. Ten up on the Edmonton Oilers, who are playing better, but still a long shot to make the postseason. Also, the Red Wings with a one nothing lead on the Devils. That's early in the second period. Four other games still to come tonight, including the Sabres and the Flames. Uh, Calgary had its seven-game winning streak busted by Winnipeg, but the Flames still did get a point, so they have uh, points in eight consecutive games. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. You can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. As for your Edmonton Oilers, they have won three straight. They will play Buffalo tomorrow night with a chance to match their season-long four-game winning streak. The Sabres, one of the few teams in the NHL behind the Edmonton Oilers, they just have a measly 31 points in 46 games, 14 behind what Edmonton has. Buffalo, by the way, minus 59 in terms of goal differential. When it comes to the Oilers' goal differential, it is not pretty either. They are minus 18 on the season, and the main reason for that is the weakness on special teams. We have talked about the penalty killing a lot throughout the season. It still isn't strong. They allowed another power play goal against in the 5-2 win over Vancouver on Saturday night. But the power play now making an effort to join the penalty killing as the worst in the NHL. 29th out of 31 teams are the Oilers with the man advantage since Christmas. Since Christmas. The Edmonton Oilers have been on the power play 25 times. They have scored twice for a success rate of 8%. Since Christmas, the Oilers are 8% on the power play. I mentioned that goal differential. Get this for the season. The Oilers have scored 19 power play goals. That's it, 19 power play goals. They have allowed 41 power play goals against. That's a difference of 22 goals on the unhappy side of the ledger. Minus 22 when you just count power. I didn't fi- I didn't factor in the shorthanded goals. I just counted power play goals for and against. And the Oilers are minus 22. And their goal differential for the season is minus 18. So all other situations, they're not great, but at least they're slightly in the positive. If they can somehow, somehow start winning the special teams battle, 
maybe they have a chance to pull off what would have to be a miracle run to threaten for the playoffs. But, uh, this, the, I mean, the, again, the road penalty kill has been okay. They, you know, they had that six-for-six six game against Vegas. They only allowed one power play goal against in five games on that road trip. They come home. Uh, Vancouver gets a power play goal. The Oilers go 0-for-3 on their own power play, and they only get four shots on goal. And not getting the puck to the net and creating any chaos around the other team's crease continues to be a big problem for the Oilers with the man advantage. For me, the power play either has to score or create momentum. And... Uh, right now, our numbers uh, are evident that we're not scoring enough, but it's also not creating a lot of momentum. Um, feel like it's creating a little more on the road than at home. I think we tense up a little bit. There's a little more pressure here, uh, but we've continually worked at it. We've moved people around. Uh, we need to get one, and then guys will feel a little bit better about themselves. But the other thing we haven't had is a lot of power play time. A lot of the, the uh, chunks of power play that we've had post-Christmas have been... Uh, um, you know, one or two max per game, and sometimes they're segmented with uh, a penalty. Either we're coming off or we take maybe. Um, so it's uh, it's been a tough go. We haven't had a lot of reps, and and when you don't get a lot of reps and you don't score, you feel like you've gone a long, long time without uh, getting the reward. You know, we know the systems, uh, we we know the structure, and we've had success in the past. Uh, we feel like we're close, uh, but it's got to start transferring to games. Uh, we haven't needed it recently. We've found a way to win some hockey games without it. Uh, but we know if, if we want to put together a, a real good streak, it's got to it's show up eventually. Does the puck get to the net enough when you guys are on the men advantage? Well, any coach tell you, never never enough. So uh, I'm sure we could always shoot the puck more. Uh, you know, it's where all the, it seems like all the goals around the league happen, tip-ins, deflections, rebounds. Uh, very rarely do you see the the Tampa Bay goals that are four-seam passes to a backdoor one. Uh, it's just the ones that show up on the highlights. So... Uh, for us, the puck's always got to get there more. I think uh, shooting is just uh, a lot about confidence. It's just uh, when when you're getting that puck in a, in a shooting area, not hesitating and, and looking for that extra play and just bearing down on it. And uh, obviously teams are so good at getting in the lane and blocking shots now. You know, I know it's easy to, to say shoot it, but when someone's in the lane and a guy's blocking it, that's just just like shooting it in the in the goalie, goalie's glove at times. So, uh, like I said at the start, I think it's just a, it's just a confident mentality. Well, the Oilers haven't had enough confidence throughout most of the season. This chat specifically about the power play, and Tom McClellan said it there: you either get a goal or you get momentum. And it's one thing, I mean, you got to get goals, but it's one thing not to get goals, but to not even create momentum off your power play extra tough. The Oilers have not been able to do that. And Latestu and Lucic both commenting on the lack of shots on the power play. And uh, hey, that that first unit, the McDavid and Drysettle unit Saturday against Vancouver, when they, uh, when they got it set up, they had the puck a long time. But it was rarely going to the net. Like I said, only four shots on goal over the course of the three power plays. Uh, Rob Brown made the point that he has often said that the power play doesn't actually start until there's the first shot on goal because then you get the defending team out of their structure, out of their box. You got them looking for rebounds. You got them possibly trying to hunt down a, a, refl- uh, a deflection or, or trying to win a, a puck battle in the crease, and then you have the opportunity to outnumber them and free up pucks and keep getting shots, and the Oilers haven't been able to do that. And uh, I know the one guy in the pack, 
that we just played there is is Mark Letestu, and I, I've heard a lot. Get Letestu off the power play. Get Letestu off the power play. Well, he was back on. I guess it's the first power play unit by default because McDavid and Dreisaitl are on it, though neither unit has been overly effective. Uh, it was Clefbaum, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Latestu, and Lucic on a power play today. And I know people want Puliyarvi on there. He was on the other unit with Nurse, Kajula, Strom, and Maroon. And I think Puliyarvi will be a main power play guy on this team very soon, maybe even later this year. He keeps coming, and we're going to talk more about him in a couple of minutes. But why is Latestu still on the power play? Because he will shoot the puck. And don't forget the impact he made last year when he went on there at the start of December. He would one-time the puck. Yeah, he doesn't fire through the net, but at least he tries to get it away. And I thought Lucic did that a couple times on Saturday too, where he just decided to take a shot just to get something at the goal. So it continues to be an issue. Uh... It involves everybody, it involves the players, it involves the coaches. I think there's a little bit of stubbornness with some of the players. And I know Lucic brought up there, well, you don't want to have your shot blocked, but I I think there is some over-concern about that happening. Because you know what? A blocked shot might bounce to your own guy too or set you up with a different angle or or a rebound of a different variety. So, yeah, it's tough. Special teams-wise, tough all around. Penalty kill last. Power play has basically kept sinking. It's never really clicked in this year. 15.1% for the season, 29th in the NHL. And if you missed the stat earlier, 2 for 25 since Christmas. 2 for 25 since Christmas. Your Oilers update for Nisku Ford. Every model on sale every day. Nisku Ford above expectations. That's the gloom surrounding the Oilers. The good news is, of course, they have won three in a row, and one of their young players really starting to break out and giving them some extra depth up front. That's Jesse Puglia-Yarvi. You'll hear from him and about him when we get back. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It's going to be cool later on in the show. We're going to go to Philadelphia. Well, on the phone line, we're not all going to travel to Philadelphia, but that could be a fun road trip someday. John Marks will check in. He works for All Sports WIP Radio in Philadelphia. J- just what I've heard here, apparently they're going nuts in Philly for about the last uh, 27 hours or so. Crushing the Vikings in the NFC Championship game. Philly, a big sports town, but the Eagles are the ones driving the bus. A city with a bit of a chip on its shoulder. They're going to be trying to win the Super Bowl for the first time ever against this uh, little upstart club from New England called the Patriots. A lot of Patriots fans in the world. I don't know if you've noticed that. Maybe you are one. I didn't know a lot of Patriots fans 20 years ago, that's for sure. <laughs> now, hey, if you've jumped on the bandwagon with the Patriots, good for you, because that has been maybe the longest bandwagon ride in North American sports history. Being a bit of a troll here, obviously, but I, I think next time someone tells me they're a big Patriots fan, I, I'm just going to ask a simple question. I'm just going to say... Name their starting quarterback before Tom Brady. I know the answer. I'm sure, I'm sure, well, I don't want to say a lot of you, I'm sure some of you know the answer. 
That, that, would ju- that would just be my simple question to someone who says there's a big Patriots fan. Name the starting quarterback before Tom Brady, who, by the way, I have to acknowledge is the greatest player in NFL history. I used to, I, now I used to argue that with people because, A, I think Peyton Manning was a hell of a quarterback. Uh, now, obviously, he only won two Super Bowls only, still pretty good. Um, I give Peyton Manning a lot of credit because I think he revolutionized the quarterback position in terms of making the quarterback basically the co-offensive coordinator, especially the way he did it. I also think he didn't have as good uh, uh, teams around him, especially on defense, that New England has had. But you, and, and, another, and another reason I often rejected Brady earlier was because, yes, he, they had that uh, stretch of winning three Super Bowls in four years. Well, so did the, the Cowboys with Troy Aikman. I, I mean, how well did Joe Montana do? All, all these guys were great quarterbacks. Brady has kept being the best for a long time. He is the best quarterback in NFL history. I think a lot of people, especially Patriots fans, were uh, putting it on him uh, earlier than he deserved it. But there's no, there's no doubt about it now. I just needed to, to, to see more information as opposed to anointing him the best quarterback of all time back in, say, 2005 or 2006. I think you have to see a little more. Glenn, thank you. Who Glenn calls himself a true Pats fan. It was indeed Drew Bledsoe. Who actually, the first year they won the Super Bowl, uh, and again, if you're a true Pats fan, you'll, re- you'll remember this. I'm pretty sure I remember this right. So Brady replaced Bledsoe early in the season. Bledsoe got, I think it was some kind of chest injury. And then Brady got shaken up in the second half of the AFC Championship game over Pittsburgh, and Bledsoe actually came off the bench and played quite well to help them uh, win that game. So thank you, Patriots fans, for restoring my faith in some of you. Some of you. (laughs) All right. As for your Edmonton Oilers, they will play Buffalo tomorrow. Yes, we will have it for you on this station. 5.30 for the face-off show. The game will start at 7. And, uh, man, it's been a tough year for the Oilers, but one of the positives, especially after Saturday's game, Yessi Pugliarvi. Pugliarvi kept it alive. High slot. Drag move. Beautiful dish to the net. Back hitter score. What a beautiful move inside. Pugliarvi to Jujar Kara. I think a lot of people forget, too, how, how young he is. You know, this isn't... You know, it's become a younger game, but he's still in his teenage years, and I think he, uh, it's, it's taken him a, a little bit longer than a lot of people have expected to adjust to the NHL game, and, and uh, you know, he's gotten better as, a, as the season's gone along, and I think uh, him starting in the AHL probably uh, was a good thing for him. And, uh, you know, like I talked about before, and I'll say it again, I think he has uh, one perimeter goal this year, and, and he's scoring a lot of goals right in front of the net. When you have a big body like he does and shoot the puck like he can, and you get in those areas, uh, you'll find a way to score, and he's, and he's doing that right now. Drysaddle to Pooley-Arvey. Back to Drysaddle, one-timer score. Pooley-Arvey's third point of the night. I think uh, I work harder and, like, in the game, go to net. Pooley-Arvey, cross ice, open man, Larson, wrist shot, save, Markstrom, rebound, score, Pooley-Arvey. Bounces on the rebound and fires it home. If he keeps playing well, and, and I'm starting to get really encouraged, and he's still he's still a young player. I mean, as as Lucci said, I mean, he could still be playing junior hockey. But 
definitely you start to feel encouraged. He's looking more composed, more confident. I think we're seeing some really nice, deft stick handling and playmaking. Uh, made a good play to set up Kara for that goal, got it across to Dreisaitl for the two-on-one. So that could change the complexion of the team because we've been crying out all year for depth scoring and, uh, and for good wingers and, and guys that can finish plays. And that's certainly been lacking on the team. And really, it's been lacking for... I mean, here's the thing. Even when, when Hall and Everly were here, there were still a lot of people saying, you know, they needed more forwards, more centers and, and wingers. So if Puliyarvi can keep playing, and specifically playing with dry sidle, I think that'll open things up again offensively for the Oilers. Now, there's, there's a lot of work to do, and I still think we're talking about a guy whose peak is you know, probably still a season or two away before he really becomes the player that he's going to be. But look, to me, there was no, he was the first start. There was no doubt about it. Puliyarvi was the best player on the ice Saturday against Vancouver. McDavid was in the first period, but you take the whole game. I think it was Puliyarvi. Some text here to 630-630. Bermuda Boy says, read the difference for the Oilers' special teams. Given some of the close games at the start of the season, it's going to be the difference between the playoffs and golfing. Shoot the puck. That's from Bermuda Boy. Another texter says, definitely too stubborn on the power play from Leon and McDavid. Leon is a bit better, but McDavid never shoots. Teams might as well just cover everyone else and let the goalie play him one-on-one. And Linden says, Reed, the Oilers' penalty killing has been even worse than the stats show. They have given up two goals or more on delayed penalties and another handful in the seconds after penalties have expired. Needs to be better. And for the awful power play, they need more urgency. The passes they have, uh, the passes have been too many and too slow, making it easy on other teams. Uh, the third power play last game was the best in a while for quick puck movement and shots on net and scoring chances. If they can keep that up, the goals will come. Linden, I think you make a good point. Not only have there been too many passes, sometimes there are too slow. I mean, on the power play, teams know they're going to have a chance to control the puck. They know where they want to put it, and they know the guy is open, so they pass at 70% of the speed they would pass while it's even strength, and all that does is give the penalty killers time to move over. A lot of improvement needed for the Oilers on the PP. A little more on Paul Coffey, and Peter Shirelli will comment on the upcoming trade deadline, and Blake Dermott to talk some football when we get back. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Tuning in tonight, Neil Yakupov has his ninth goal of the season. Austin Matthews has his 21st. Colorado and Toronto are tied 2-2 with about seven minutes left in the second period. Red Wings up 1-0 on the Devils late second period. And about halfway through the first, the Wild lead the Senators 1-0. Oilers play Buffalo tomorrow. Some texts here to 630-630. Chris and Victoria... Says dry sidle for Carlson signed to an extension. What's the holdup? Well, Chris, I don't know. I don't know if you're uh, joking around or not. Uh, the Oilers would probably have to give up more than Leon Drysaitel to get Carlson out of Ottawa. I was uh, poking some. Uh, what was it? Well, I was trolling Patriots fans because, as I said, there's there's a lot more of them than uh, than I remember when I was a, a, a young lad growing up in Evansburg. 
so I just said, you know, if you're really a Patriots fan, you'd probably know the quarterback before Tom ba- Tom Brady. And to, to many of, of yours credit, several people texted in, said uh, Drew Bledsoe. And Stu texts in, he's saying, who was it before Drew Bledsoe? Now, that's a, that's a tough one because that goes back, you know, a generation, really. Drew Bledsoe became the Patriots starting quarterback in 1993, and he had it until 2001 when he was replaced by Brady. So I actually, thanks to the magic of Wikipedia, the, in 1992, the quarterback who started the most games for the Patriots was a guy named Hugh Millen. And no, I don't remember who that was. He started seven. Scott Zolak started four. Hugh Millen started 13 games in 91. So I guess the answer would be Hugh Millen was the uh, Patriots starting quarter, now quarterback before Drew Bledsoe. You're a really hardcore Patriots fan if, if you knew that. You, you, you deserve to, be, to enjoy uh, this ride for sure. Brian says, did Evansburg even have TV? And he put some winky faces after. Hey, don't laugh. But, but seriously, I never had access to a full slate of NFL games till I moved to Edmonton to go to university in the fall of 1991. I, I followed the NFL by looking at scores in the newspaper and reading Sports Illustrated. When I up until I was 17, and then ITV, as it was called at the time, would usually show one or two playoff games a weekend, and then the Super Bowl. So that's yes, I had TV, Brian, but I didn't have full access to to the NFL like now. And uh, Brian in Minnesticwin says, uh, "Read how many new and true Oiler fans remember who the Oiler captain was 15 years ago." let alone before Connor. Stars bring fans. Well, Brian, you're absolutely true, and I'm obviously being cheeky with, uh, with some of the Patriot talk today, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw out a random number. I'm guessing 99.4% of Oilers fans could name the captain before Connor McDavid, the, the person that actually wore the C, not the year they had no captain. And 15 years ago would have been the 02-03 season. I'm guessing at least three-quarters of Oilers fans, without looking it up, would know who the captain was in 02-03. We'll do an informal survey by texting 630-630. We're going to bring up the guy who's the captain of my admiration, Blake Dermott. Blake, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Well, here's something, because uh, 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 listening to you talk about the quarterback before Brady and... and uh, uh, what about what about people forget Steve Grogan? Steve Grogan played 16 years in the NFL every year with uh, with Patriots. That's, That's a good point. I, yeah, he was there a long time. Go 75 up until he was still starting games in 89. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, he he was the quarterback before Really, the true uh, quarterback of the Patriots before Brady, like the long term. Well, before Bledsoe, the true wow. long term starter. I know, but yeah. still, like, he he was the guy. And uh, if I remember right, uh, he led them to their first Super Bowl uh, appearance when uh, when they played the Bears and yeah. were. I don't know if anybody was beating the Bears that year, so yeah. <laughs> that was that was an incredible. So I got to ask for you, where, where did you become a big? And look. Blake, I'm I'm having fun with people because obviously if your team wins, you're going to attract more fans or get those, you know, fence riding fans to be a lot more enthusiastic. That's that's sports. So I'm joking around a bit. But for you, uh, when did you start liking the Patriots? Well, it was really simple. Um, right, well, right about that time when uh, when they made it to the the, uh, uh, the Super Bowl. But but I, as a kid growing up, uh, I was always a Boston Bruins hockey fan. Um, I, I wore number four, uh, my jersey right up through till I played junior. And, uh, 
so virtually any team that was from the Boston area was a team that I would follow. And uh, uh, I, uh, so yeah, I, I guess when I first started paying attention to football, would have been probably I would have been somewhere around 12, 13 years old, and didn't like didn't get a lot of NFL. But but if I did ever see a team that was from the Boston area, that was the team that I was cheering for. So my story uh, resonated with you a bit of like I I wouldn't watch NFL games till the playoffs when I was even in in my teens. So all you people who are watching games on your phone now, it was it was a little different. Well, we didn't, you know, uh we didn't, I think we were the last family in the neighborhood to get a color TV. So oh, <laughs> And we got color TV only because my mom loved watching uh um Hawaii 50. She thought it would be really beautiful in color. <laughs> Uh, you know, so, so, a true story. I'm not kidding you. Somebody just texted in, ask Blake about playing fullback at Bonnie Dune. I think we've talked a little bit about here. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we need to go down there. Tomorrow. No, that's, that's but, not. Yeah, but I just wanted to acknowledge that somebody <laughs> did did uh, did send that in. Okay, so I'm just curious to get your impression of the, of the games yesterday. I I got to admit, Blake, when it was 20 to 10 for Jacksonville, I started to think th- th- they might do it. And I, yeah. of course, of course, you never count New England out, but you got to respect the opponent. I mean, teams aren't just bowing over because they're paying the Patriots, and certainly Jacksonville didn't. But when the Patriots got it to 2017, with the amount of time that was left, I thought, uh oh, if Jacksonville can't respond here, I, I think they've left Brady a little too much time. And, and I, I, I think you got to give the Jags t- a ton of credit. I think they got two young stars on that team, but that was kind of how I felt watching the game. Once it got to 2017, I was like, ah, I think here comes Brady now. Well, they, you know, the, everybody knew that Jacksonville had a, uh, an outstanding defense, and they played very well. And then when when you lose a big weapon like Gronkowski. Uh, then you're right. Like at, at 20, uh, when it was 20 to 10, I was doing a little bit of yelling at the TV um, because because there was you know, or, or maybe even got pleading with the TV. Uh, but Jacksonville was full measure, and Bortles uh, managed the game quite well. And uh, um, if it wasn't for you know, the, it's amazing when you when you play with a team that that comes from behind, like the like New England has done over the last 16, 17 years. They've been able to play from behind. And, and be relaxed. And, and people saw that here in Edmonton, saw that with the Eskimos this year. You know, that they, they weren't afraid of being behind going into the last five minutes of a game. Now, you live by the sword sometimes, you know, you know what can happen. And, and, uh, but for whatever reason, the Patriots always seem to be relaxed, more relaxed than, than the people. You know, they, they go, okay, good, we've got five minutes to go, we're only down by seven. Where the other team's going, oh, my God, they got five minutes to go and right. we're only ahead by seven. You know, and it's a completely different mindset. And the Patriots, for whatever reason, have had that for, for a long time. And Brady just brings so much confidence. And, and you know, of course, the hoodies, uh, just his ability to be able to have such great staff. Uh, his offense and defense coordinators are, are phenomenal and will go on to be very good uh, head coaches. You know, the the hoodie, Bill Belichick, of course, he, to me, he's such a fascinating figure because I, I played some of the audio last week. i, I got to give Morley credit because he cut up some of the stuff where he's just like, yeah, we're thinking about Jacksonville. Yeah, it's Friday. You know, like the, the two-word answers. But I started listening. I didn't have time to finish listening to it, but he does a, a weekly Monday radio show in Boston where he sits down with, with the hosts for, you know, 30, 40 minutes and, and talks about talks about the game. So, I mean, he's not this total curmudgeon that will never uh, give you anything. And I'm sure that's probably an aspect of his personality that the, the players like is that you can probably really sit down and talk to him, but he, but he controls what is said 
publicly and always gives you that that confidence and and the players always know what the standards are with Belichick. Yeah, and that's the, and that's one of the reasons why I think that the, they have been so successful over the years is that you're right, he controls the standards and they know exactly uh they know how much information that they are allowed to give and they accept that. And if they don't accept it, they're not there. Uh it, it just it, it be, it's a beautiful uh plan and a uh um, a recipe for success. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's other guys in the league, other guys in other leagues that have tried similar things, but for whatever reason, he has the ability to be able to transcend, transcend that into his players and, and, and make them believers in the whole system and everything else, which gives them the success that they've had. Blake Dermott joining us on Inside Sports, our Eskimos analyst here on 630 Chet, of course, played in the uh, CFL with the Eskimos. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the NFC side. We'll do a lot more at 730 because John Marks from an all-sports radio station in Philadelphia is going to join us. Uh, I assume everybody in that city had a headache this morning. Uh, But but I I really thought the Vikings uh, had a chance, and, and they had a good start in that game, but then... I just saw Blake, and and I always love talking to you because you see so many more details than I do. But I just it just looked like so many blown coverages for the Vikings, and then you could just kind of tell the body language and and the belief just got sucked out of them. Well, I, I think more than anything, uh, you look at Nick Foles played the ba- the game of his life, three hundred and fifty six yards passing, three touchdowns. Uh, seemed like every trick play they wanted to try, they did the the uh, um, the hook and ladder that worked. They uh, not hook and ladder the uh, Flea flicker yeah. that worked. Uh, they just they controlled every aspect of it, and and I think Minnesota, uh, coming off such an emotional high of the week before against uh, New Orleans, boy, that's tough to be able to maintain that, you know. And they and they, they, they as you said, they they responded early. The game was you know a seven seven, and then and then it just, it just they just lost control of it. Uh, Philadelphia was was uh, riding a, a wave that they there's no way these guys could get uh, get aboard to to get on it with them, and they. He just couldn't keep up, and, and and like I said, Nick Foles, game of his uh, game of his career. Uh, uh, so, you, I, and I think I, I look at the two teams, and if, if Philadelphia comes in with their with their strong defense like they've got, if they come in and play that way, it's going to be a tough day for uh, for New England. Uh, New England is is still the team that I would say has the opportunity, but is Gronkowski is Gronkowski going to play? And uh, and Philadelphia sort of got out of that thing unscathed, and man, they are looking to knock these guys off, uh, much like every other team has done over the last the previous five times that New England's won the Super Bowl. But uh, but it's it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a really good matchup. Well, I mean, I got to favor New England, and you know, but then you start to maybe sometimes you convince yourself it's going to be closer than it will be when you start thinking about it. But but I mean, Foles is not. Foles is not as out of his season was not as out of nowhere as Keenum's was, right? Because Foles yeah. did it a few years ago, or what I think he had twenty-seven touchdowns and two picks. And Philly does have some receivers that can get in behind the the defense, right? With Smith and Aguilar, like they got guys that can, that can get down get down the field. So yeah, maybe it's. I think there's a gap there, but Philly can make some big plays on you. And and I think that their their defense is. Uh, is strong enough to be able to give you know, the uh, New England Patriots some trouble. It, it was listening to a stat. I, I want to. I didn't see all the stats, but I think uh, Brady got sacked three times uh, in the game, and he got pressured quite a bit early. They hit him early, and that that's what created some problems. But the uh, uh, the stat was that in games when um, I, I think um, the Patriots were sacked 
oh, three times or more, they have a losing record in, in, uh, in, uh, over the course of Brady's career. So, so that's the secret. They got to get to Brady. They got to bump him around a bit. They got to get, they got to get him onto the ground. If you can get, you know, three sacks or more, you got to it increases your chance of uh, being successful. And uh, I don't know if that's a, a, a statistic that is, uh, um, you know, just specific to New England. But that's the statistic that, uh, that, that you see the Eagles uh, paying a whole lot of attention to over the next two weeks. Blake, one more for you. With, with only a few exceptions, it's always two weeks between the conference championships and the Super Bowl. You played in a lot of Grey Cups where it was the, the West Final and then the Grey Cup, though you might have had a bye going into the West Final. The, the extra week before a championship game, would that drive you a little crazy as a player? Or, or what do you think? Well, it drove. It always seemed to drive me crazy when we were in first place and had the bye when the other teams were playing. Right. But when both teams are, when both teams have the same amount of time off, uh, you know, when you when you've played as many games as these guys have, boy, you're beat up. You need that extra week to be able to uh, to be able to get your uh, get healthy. And of course, in, in, every team going into this this final game, every time somebody goes to the Super Bowl, there's always a story about somebody will he be ready to play, and. Uh, so I think I think in such a big stage, such a big world stage, I, I would have been okay with a week off. Blake, it's always great to have you on the show. Love your thoughts on what we saw on the field. We'll do this again, buddy. Really appreciate your time. Okay, thanks a lot, Reed. Blake Dermott checking in, talking a little football with him. Usually we talk Eskimos today, talking Patriots, Eagles going to the Super Bowl. Six forty-eight, coming right back. Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Well, of course, the Nuge out five to six weeks, cracked ribs. Oilers will play Buffalo tomorrow night at Rogers Place. Yesterday at Rogers Place, you had the Edmonton Oil Kings in action against the Kamloops Blazers. The Blazers did come away with a 4-2 win, but it was a very important day for the Oil Kings and their fans as we bring in Director of Business Operations, Kevin Radomski. Kevin, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Good evening. How are you? I'm doing well. It's it's good to talk to you. The last time we spoke was about uh, Star Wars jerseys, which was a, <laughs> uh, a pretty cool initiative. But you guys had pink at the rink yesterday, which is such a, uh, an important initiative, and you guys always do such great work. Tell me how it went down, Kevin. Yeah, i got to tell you, we, we tried to do something. Well, we were able to do something uh, for the very first time for our brand. Is We actually reached out to the opponent in the Kamloops Blazers, and we said, you know what? Cancer affects all of us. It's very hard to find someone that says, yeah, not, not for me. I don't know anyone affected by cancer. And we asked, after the opening puck drop, we would like to have both teams take a united stand on the red line. And so it was Kamloop Blazer, Edmonton Oil King. Kamloop Blazer, Edmonton Oil King, all the way across the ice, united. And then both captains started making a drum beat with their sticks, we had over 9,000 people in the arena, and they all had noisemakers, pink noisemakers. So if you can imagine both teams in unison smacking their sticks on the ice with a drum beat, 9,000 people following along. Like, I've talked to the players uh, that participated. I've talked to the, the coaches, and like everyone just said, like, what an amazing moment to actually take that all in. And then on the concourse, we uh, made a special toques up we had an amazing group called uh, the Breast Friends Dragon Boat Racing Team. 
And these are women who have looked breast cancer straight on and conquered it. They were selling toques, and they raised over $10,000 for their society, which helps women find another ability to, to kind of have a sense of belonging and a fellowship and friendship with other women going through the same thing. And then our goalie wore a special pink mask that after the game was done, took it right off, handed it to this beautiful family that bought some raffle tickets and won. The thing was dripping with sweat. And uh, right from the field of battle, and all that money that raised uh, went to Sorrentino's Compassion House right here at Edmonton. Well, Kevin, that's I mean, man, that's that's incredible. That that's <laughs> awesome. All the stuff you guys did, and, and what an incredibly uh, uh, emotional day. And uh, I know the Oil Kings do so so much stuff like that uh, for the community. Uh, your season is not as long as uh, the NHL season. I know the team's still trying to crawl up into a playoff spot as well. Anything else uh, going on, or any other home games we can look forward to here? Yeah, we have we have a game uh, Wednesday night at Rogers Place, and then our next really big focus game is on uh, Saturday, February the 10th. We're going to be playing the Red Deer Rebels. And it's a special 1.30 uh, p.m. puck drop. And what makes that one really special is that the Memorial Cup is actually going to be coming into Edmonton. And it's on its journey uh, across Canada for its 100th year anniversary. And we're actually going to have the Memorial Cup at uh, Rogers Place. We have a lot of surprises for the fans. And, of course, we are very, very privileged and fortunate to be the very last WHL team to win the Memorial Cup. That's right. Jeez, yeah, it has been. Uh, nobody else has been able to step in there. So, sorry, that was February 10th? February 10th, yeah, one thirty puck drop. And uh, you'll be able to see uh, a little bit of the history that goes behind why the Memorial Cup, uh, uh, kind of how it got its roots. We're gonna, I'm, I'm trying to be facetious a little bit as we... Uh, we uh, we have some surprises uh, planned for the fans, but uh, we're very very honored uh, to be playing the Red Deer Rebels, and then to have that uh, the hundredth anniversary celebration of the Memorial Cup inside Rogers Place. That's awesome, Kevin. Thanks for checking in. We'll have to uh, talk closer to the tenth as well. And great job with Pink at the Rink. You guys definitely knocked it out of the rink. Good stuff. Well, thanks so much for the support. Have a great night. That is Kevin Radomski checking in tonight, Director of Business Operations for your Edmonton Oil Kings and, of course, oilkings.ca for more information, all the game stories, more on Pink at the Rink and, of course, their full schedule and the next game Wednesday at 7 when they host Medicine Hat. All right. Quick NHL update, still 2-2, Abs and Maple Leafs, that's after 2, also after 2, Red Wings leading the Devils 2-zip after the first wild up 1-0 on the Senators, and the Lightning and the Blackhawks early on are scoreless. Sabres and Flames will start in about 10 minutes in Calgary, and then Buffalo is at Rogers Place to play the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow night. The Eskimos making some moves today. They have released... Danny Grew, offensive lineman, defensive back Kochi Mwamba, and defensive lineman Marcus Howard and Philip Hunt all released by the Edmonton Eskimos. Jack Michaels coming up. We're going to talk about goats. I'm serious. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.